Hey everyone, welcome back to The Complex. In this episode of Shiny Shorts, Robin tells us about her fat attack. Afterwards, James and I will discuss why it happened and what can be done to help. Before we get started though, I'd like to remind you that you too can submit a story just like Robin's to be featured on The Complex. Just go to jamesochoa.com and click on the Storm Stories tab. There, you can see more about this podcast, and you can submit a story of your own. Hey, it's Robin, and this is a story about my latest storm. James says when you have ADHD, you're always waiting for the other shoe to drop. I've lived 60 years with several sets of mismatched shoes, and the oldest, heaviest one just dropped. I had a scary encounter with a scale. I came face to face with the weight of my body. A little background. My otherwise loving mother worried that I was going to be fat. She put me on restrictive diets at the age of seven. By the time I was 12, I was alternately starving and binging. I never developed anorexia or bulimia, but my binge eating disorder was raging by the time I left home at 17. From there, I spent decades losing weight and gaining it back, going to support groups, doing intense feats of physical endurance, reading the latest theories, all in pursuit of the quote-unquote right body. But I never got there, and recent 23andMe tests gave me a fascinating piece of information. My genetics predisposed me to weigh more than the average woman. Interesting, because just about everyone on both sides of my family is thin and not very muscular, and I'm the opposite. So I now think my body has always fought its way back to where it wanted to be, but I also think I may have messed up my metabolism in the process. Also, a combination of ADHD and being starved early in my life made me more attached to food than I might have been if my natural body type had been accepted. Like a lot of people, I've used food to soothe and dull my emotions, and I've used stringent weight loss diets to create a sparkly promise of a future that never comes. Then about 10 years ago, I was diagnosed with ADHD and prescribed stimulant medication, first Adderall, then Dexedrine. At first, these meds were the bomb. Not only did they motivate me and focus me, they took away my obsession with food and I ended up losing quite a bit of weight. I can't give you a number because I don't weigh myself and try not to trigger myself with numbers, but at one point I was down to a very normal weight and felt just great about how I looked. I didn't have to diet or do anything out of the ordinary. And then about four years ago, my medication stopped working and I finally realized that I needed to stop stimulants for a while. And then I entered menopause. Sure enough, I began to slowly gain back the weight I'd lost. I felt so comfortable in my body for such a long time that I didn't notice. Once I did, though, I signed up for several different trainings in body image repair and self-acceptance. I even tried dieting again, but I couldn't do that anymore. I'm not thrilled with my appearance, but I am trying to accept myself, especially now that the rest of society seems to have woken up and realized that diets or wellness or whatever they're calling it now are nothing but a bunch of snake oil. Fewer than 1% of people who try to lose weight do so. The other 99% gain back what they lost, plus a little extra. Meanwhile, 
I'm very physically active and in excellent health despite my weight. So I was in a place of relative peace about all this until I went in for a medical procedure, asked them not to tell me my weight, and they didn't. Instead, they wrote it in huge numbers on a piece of paper and asked me to sign it. Wow, I weigh a lot more than I thought I did. Intellectually, I understand what's going on here, but I'm also having a big emotional fat attack. I'm distressed. I can't believe a number has that much power to throw me off track. Not only do I want to get over this storm, I want to inoculate myself against future times when someone tells me how much I weigh because I know that's going to happen. More important than any of that are women much younger than me. I don't want them to experience this body image bullshit for another four decades. Some of these women confide in me. I want to be a good example for them. I don't want to be thrown into a tizzy by a number on a scale anymore. How's that for a storm? So, James, what did you think of Robin's story? Well, uh, you know, as storms go on the ADHD spectrum, yeah. uh, somehow I would say I'm just, I'm not, I'm not ever surprised after 30 years. Um, <laughs> but this one uh, definitely qualifies as one of those storms that I would call as an add-on, mm. you know, an ADHD add-on, meaning that uh, it is and affects the ADHD process for Robin regarding kind of living her life. But it, it comes out of a completely different realm having to do with weight and food and, yeah. uh, you know, something that's not quote-unquote ADD related. Right. Uh, so I call it one of these add-on storms, which is like sometimes the most frustrating ones because it's like you don't see them coming uh, and mm. you don't really, you didn't anticipate that they were going to um, be a part of the ADD aspect. And then suddenly that storm adds to the ADHD risk of a storm. And you're like, wait a minute. Uh, it's yeah. like a double storm happening. Well, yeah, that was something that I was going to bring up was like listening to her storm. It it sounded kind of normal to me, <laughs> um, but yeah, that, that was just because of the, the fact that it was um, about weight. And, you know, I'm like, right. in my mind, everybody kind of deals with weight and all this kind of stuff. But like looking at it, you know, the way that it that it happened I can see how it would cause a a massive disruption in somebody who was already predisposed to disruptions. Um, right. In, right. The, in the fact that, like, you know, when she went to the doctor and, and the doctor was like, you know, I'm not I'm not going <laughs> to obey uh, what you wanted me to do in what you thought was best for yourself. Um, and instead, I'm going to have you sign this massive piece of paper with the weight with your weight on it and like that i think for right. anybody would be very disrupting but um i think especially with adhd you you like cycle into all kinds of different um past histories of of emotion and like what right right what what is that how can um how can somebody like do that i mean why why does that happen in adhd why do you cycle into something like that well i 
so first of all, take the risk factor, okay? So the risk factor of the genetic and neurological sensitivity on the ADHD spectrum, okay? So your, your neurology is already predisposed to be hypersensitive because you've been through all these disruptions on the ADHD spectrum before, yeah. okay? And so in this case, Robin, uh, you know, may has worked on that ADHD spectrum knows things obviously knows my work you know and the idea of waiting for the next shoe to drop and so she prepares herself and takes care of herself on the ADHD spectrum yet this cycling coming off the emotional issue of weight and her lifelong history with it complicates it and like I said it's like one storm adding on to another Mm. but the bigger challenge to me is that she was taking care of herself and she was asking mm-hmm. for what she needed clearly. And it wasn't like the medical professional said, uh, no, I can't do that. Or let me tell you how this needs to work. There wasn't any dialogue. It was just this. She asked for what she needed. She thought she was going to get it because no one, you know, told her she wasn't right until she was surprised by her asking them to sign something. Yeah. So, you know, that's the kind of insult to injury here that to me, as I said, you know, I don't, I, I, I'm not surprised by these storms that add on to each other because here she was being empowered and here she was taking care of herself by asking for what she needed. And it was still a mistake. It was still yeah. an issue. And those are the things we can't predict. And so when that happens on an ADHD spectrum, That was a little bit of circumstances of what I would call life on life's terms. Mm. Medical professional makes a mistake, in my opinion, to some degree by not explaining to her what's going to happen. Okay, but that adds on and lobs into her ADHD issue, which she was already being empowered with. Right. And so now what do you do? Right. Okay. it's like I'm even using my best practices and I still run into storms like this. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I. I think that's important to talk about. Yeah, definitely. Um, but I'm going to kind of go the other way with it uh, because that's I, think, fine. I think that's really interesting as well. So, um, and, and we'll kind of cycle back to that, I think. Um, but first off, I, I want to kind of address the question that what do you think would have happened if the medical professional hadn't have done this? And said, and and basically effectively said like, um, okay, I won't show you your weight, um, you know, but, but do know that you need to kind of work on it. Do you think that that would have had an impact enough to have her like remain cognizant of it? Or do you think that it would have had an effect such that she would have almost become complacent? No, I don't think she would have, uh, and I I know Robin in this case, so I don't think she would have become complacent because she's very clear about who she is. But I do think if a medical professional uh, had, um, you know, identified uh, what the process was going to be and that she was going to need to see the number to sign it, that it was a verification, there could at least been a dialogue in which she could have been better prepared of the process yeah. because the biggest issue to me was, was the sh- what, right. And that's the shoe dropping. And that to me, that kind of startle response 
of, of uh, I did everything I could to be empowered, but it's still <clears throat> something happened to startle me. That's the piece that I think sets off storms many times, those surprises. Yeah. And because if you look at disorganization, forgetting something, uh, ADHD storms get started with surprises. They get started with mm. those startles many times, which is why I talk about personalizing strategies and I talk about mindful meditation, you know, as insulators of trying to manage uh, the intensity of, of the emotions. But would it have been yeah. different had the medical professional uh, really informed her and talked it out? I think it would have prepared her better and she likely would have had an opportunity to use it other skills or strategies she has uh, yeah. in how to navigate that. And that's impossible to know at this point. Um, as as she's dealing with the abruptness of it and looking at the, um, the stark reality of her weight. Mm -hmm. So what, how can you build a resistance? I mean, not resistance, like tolerance. How can you build a tolerance to surprises? Because that, if that's the main setter of, uh, like something that sets off these storms, how can uh, somebody build resistance to that? Well, um, how does someone, you don't so much build, res, res, you know, I would call it resilience, okay, where you're okay. going to build a yeah. sense of strength. But I also think it's a sense of flexibility. It's being able to kind of navigate that abruptness or that kind of pop that comes at you. Uh, when you don't know it. And so you have to have some flexibility. It's like uh, being thrown out of balance when you lose your physical balance, but not falling, but you kind of catch yourself. Mm. So if you think about it, the uh, uh, resilience you want to build up, uh, there is strength to it in the ideas of being able to tolerate or be prepared or have that muscle be strong. But it's also a lot about flexibility and the ability to kind of respond like, uh, not fall over completely, but, um, yeah, you know, stay in balance. So how do you do that? Those are interestingly enough, um, you know, with the recording of this podcast here in February, this is actually, it's been three years since I have, uh, uh, published focus forward, which is like, blows me away. that It's been that long yeah. since I put my book out. Um, but in that space, in those three years, one of the things I have been researching and discovering is this resilience factor. And so the ideas of meditation and building a relationship with meditation, not just a skill set of taking a class or learning how to do it, but really embedding yourself in being able to uh, what I call now micro meditations, one to three minutes throughout the day, slow motion, uh, which is slowing down your um, uh, actions by 25%, say in walking or in washing the dishes or doing something that kind of brings your mind back into balance, those help to build uh, uh, resilience and this flexibility. Um, yeah. But specifically, you asked about startle, okay? And that kind of uh, abrupt startle. How do you do that? Yeah. Uh, and there are a couple of ways that I've been researching in the last year to strengthen what really would be known as uh, the vagus nerve 
in the body, which has a lot to do with the ability to calm you down. Mm -hmm. Uh, The ventral nervous system kind of revs you up and gets you prepared. But the vagus nerve system is the one that kind of calms you down and recenters you. Um, And that's the piece for a lot of people with anxiety, post-traumatic stress, ADHDs, EDS, uh, emotional distress issues. That's that vagus nerve is not very well uh, practiced or its tone of strength to calm you down isn't as effective as it could be. Okay, so how do you strengthen that kind of vagus nerve? One way that's interestingly out there is the idea of um, I'm using deep breathing techniques mm-hmm. where uh, you're taking deep breaths in and out at a slow pace, but uh, on the very last breath, you're holding it uh, uh, out, you know, with no breath in your body where you can mm-hmm. feel the pressure and you're pulling your breath all the way in or taking a full breath and you're holding your breath uh, and you feel the pressure of that. So feeling that pressure, I think, helps to know that I can stay calm or centered while uh, my body might be startled. Okay. Gotcha. Um Secondly, I think, interestingly enough, there is a gentleman that has begotten a little viral. He's gotten viral on the internet named Wim Hof, W-I-M-H-O-F. And he is a gentleman from Denmark who is a, I I would call him a master breathing uh, tolerance expert. And he uses the ideas of breathing and cold therapy and how humans make commitments. And there's a lot of information that's been splashed out there. And he has a lot of effective tools. One of the tools he talks about is cold therapy and the idea of using cold water or uh, bringing your shower to a cold water temperature over a period of one or two weeks slowly that you feel that startle deliberately, okay, while Uh you're showering and the cold water is there, but you're deep breathing at the same time. And what they believe is happening here is you're exercising that vagus nerve system to calm you down. Now, I've been practicing this for about the last year or so and playing with the ideas of breathing and the ideas of cold water kind of therapies. Um, And they've been effective. They've actually absolutely been helpful. Have they taken away all my storms? No. Would they help Robin in this case in regards to kind of how she could calm herself or exercise that calmness in being startled, yes, I think so, and that is still a, uh, that's my ongoing investigation. That's maybe a very gotcha. long answer, but the ideas of micro meditations, the ideas of deep breathing techniques, the ideas of cold water kind of therapies uh, are ways to kind of strengthen uh, the uh, resilience or the flexibility factor you need when these kind of storms come up. Gotcha. Um, yeah. So. In the context of Robin, um, since I since I do know her personally, which makes this um, podcast a little bit more, uh, I guess, informed. I guess um, I I do know that she already takes care of herself very very well, um, right? And so, right. in that moment of the doctor telling her, um her or like having her sign the the paper with her weight right, on it right um that's that's not what she needed um but 
I know you talk about, I know you were just talking about the like um, deep breathing and the different techniques of building Mm -hmm. this resilience. Um, Are there any other ways that might be more um, that, that someone else might connect with more other than deep breathing? Cause I know that that's sure something that can be universally done, but also I, I think there isn't necessarily one magic bullet for, for everyone no, around. No, there's no, there's not. And a lot of my work, I think in uh, going forward needs to really be centered on um, kind of fleshing some of these uh, techniques out and these kinds of things. Cause I know they're helpful on the storms of ADHD. Uh, but other pieces I would focus on are the ideas of using the emotional safe place or the mental support group of uh, the imagination of the mind and um, how someone kind of grounds himself mentally in their own mind's eye or their imagination. Mm-hmm. Okay. So in this case, um, you know, if Robin had any uh, stress, so to speak, that she knew of in, in, in going to medical doctors or this sense of advocation, knowing that weight is a challenge and knowing the numbers is a challenge. Uh, then she might have used, you know, some kind of a grounding stone or something that she carried with her. Or, um, you know, she could have called someone before she went to the doctor regarding kind of a support system of a pot of support of someone else who knows that she's going uh, to kind of uh, be with her, so to speak, in, a, in an advocacy or a support role that she could talk yeah. to afterwards. So those are the kinds of pods of support your own mental exercise and your imagination. Um, like I've had a lot of people who will use their emotional safe place and quote unquote ground themselves in that before they go into a stressful situation or the potential of a stressful situation. So in this case, Robin could have, before she got out of her car and gone into the doctor, she could have stopped for one to three minutes of a micro meditation. She could have strategically therapeutically daydreamed is what I call it, right? She could stop and go to her emotional safe place and put herself in a pool of a waterfall that she Mm -hmm. built there or uh, swing in a hammock on a beach that she finds for herself. Yeah. Right. And so she's got that mentally in her mind's eye as she's going into this stressful situation. Um, And she might even have a picture if she's on the beach, a picture of the beach on her phone that she sees while she's in the doctor's office, that kind of dual mental state I think is very resourceful building for people with ADHD. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you look at it, I see it as a counteraction to the emotional stress that gets channeled from uh, ultimately the survival instinct, which is where that abruptness or that startle comes from. And so this counterbalance mentality is also something that I've really been working on in the last couple of years. Yeah. Um, and and considering. Well, and ultimately, like, I I always like to envision uh, what's the ideal place I want to be? What's what's the right. yeah. um, the end goal to all of this, right? Yes. And ideally, you as the person with ADHD would be able to practice this kind of technique, whichever technique you figure out to ground yourself. Um, and and I, I do want to emphasize that it, 
most likely needs to be a functional technique. It needs to be something that that is uh, socially appropriate, right? So if somebody right. found that like they ground themselves by like punching a wall, it's like, well, okay, but that's that's not exactly applicable. In, uh, no, um, it's yeah. no, it's not. Yeah. So yeah. in that, so right. so the ideal sense is that you're able to pull on this like secondary mind uh yes. so readily that any situation you go into no matter what happens abrupt or not you are able to center and ground yourself almost immediately when that happens yes that's the and, idea is that you can recenter yourself reset rebalance exactly and, and that that would be the mac, the the master practitioner essentially the yeah, the the, and, mac, the master practicer Yes, and if I was, you know, uh, if I was to put myself in that category of at least practicing, uh, yeah. I, I always always debate whether or not it will ever hit mastery completely. Um, but you know, as I'm speaking here uh, on this podcast right now, I can also mentally hold my imagination mind, as you're saying, in this kind of second mind. I like that idea. Uh, you know, that I can be sitting behind my 100-foot waterfall in this perfect little cubby meditation spot that I'm kind of looking through the water falling in front of me. I can even put my hand through it as I'm talking to you. That dualistic mind, I think, also can help create a counterbalance to the stress of ADHD. And, you know, it's something we could talk about more in even podcasts going forward because those are... yeah. The ideas of, yes, that would be the strength of that mental state. I am a high, high visual uh, processor in my mind's eye and imagination, so it's very easily to me. Other people could use the ideas of uh, a feeling state in their body or an auditory sound or a smell that because their sensory system is more oriented toward that kind of a strength rather than visual. Yeah. Okay, and so remembering that you can use a lot of different sensory systems within your imagination. Gotcha. Well, if any of you listening would like to submit your own story, you can go to jamesochoa.com or tlec.info and go to the Storm Stories tab. There you'll be able to learn more about this podcast and learn more about the community we're building as well as submit a storm for this podcast. So thank you guys for listening and we will see you next month.